0: Hi, welcome to the Mastermind Project Podcast. My name is Brian McRae. I'm the founder of the Mastermind Project. And this podcast is intended to help you grow as a leader, to grow in productivity, and also to grow in relationships. Those are the three topics that we will always talk about here at the Mastermind Project. Chances are you're a small business owner or maybe a commission sales professional and you're looking to grow. And we know that growth doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. So once a month we host an event designed to help givers grow. And so that's what we're here for. And this podcast is taken from a general session of a portion of our live event, uh, which we've now gone to virtual uh, as of 2020. So if you're comfortable, please join us. Feel free to join us and you can go to www.briankmcrae.com. And you can register for our next event, which is the third Thursday of the month. So sit back and enjoy the shared learning experience here of the Mastermind Project.
1: Thank you, thank you very kindly. Uh, Got a little bit of feedback over here, we're gonna work through that. Friends, and I say friends, and I mean that, there's so many of you that I recognize in the audience today, many of you have heard me before, and I appreciate you coming back for another round. Um, And for somebody who has always wanted to live in St. Louis, but has been any place other than here, my father was in the Air Force, and then I joined as soon as I could, Uh, To have friends in the city that I've been championing my entire life is a wonderful 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 thing and what a great community to be be a part of Uh, Brian mentioned something just a second ago about us kicking off a new decade, right? Which means that for some of us we kicked off just about six weeks ago This new year this new decade with resolutions, correct? Six weeks in, how are those resolutions coming? Some applause, I heard some groans. That's about right, it truly is. I mean, we we have noble ambitions for what it is that we're gonna do differently each day, potentially each month, each quarter, each year. Sometimes life gets in the way and we don't march out quite as robustly as we thought that we might. Today is going to hopefully help us get a, a little bit back on track for those of you who weren't clapping, All right, for those of you who felt like maybe we're a little bit behind. And so we're going to talk about this idea of transformation. All of us are about that, right? We're about transforming to become the best version of ourselves. As team leads, we're about trying to transform our teams to be their very best as people, who lead teams outside of business, we're trying to do the exact same thing and we're going to transfer some of, some of the ways that teams come together into whatever domain it is uh, that we choose to today. Does that sound fair? Sound like a useful uh, appropriation of our time? Good. Um, so let's just jump right into this thing. This, this word here, transformation, tough. It's tough. And it's tough for a bunch of reasons, but what comes to top of mind when you're thinking about transforming to be the best version of yourself? What are some of the obstacles we've got to overcome? Change. Mindset. Mindset, you said change. change so we've got to embrace the fact that change is going to take something. What else? Fear. Fear. There is a comfort. Even if we recognize, I recognize that I'm not quite as fit as I once was not as felt as I was back in my flight suit days. But there's a comfort in continuing to do the same things that led me to the current version of me. And as much as I'd like to be the previous version, I'm fearful of what those changes might entail. Takes effort, friends. And while the notions sound great, while transformation as a principle sounds fantastic, it takes effort and a lot of effort truly to get to where it is that we're capable of being. And so there's a commitment component to what we're talking about. I mentioned a previous version of myself. Here's a picture of me in 1992. Uh, in fact, this picture was taken just before I went through survival, evasion, resistance, and escape training. And I found out that there's a gentleman here who helped lead the program that I went through. Where, where are you again? Is it? There you are. Yeah. The pit of my stomach still falls a little bit when I think about the kinds of experiences that one has in survival, evasion, resistance, and escape training. Thinking about, what what does that entail? Getting beaten, getting punished, feeling a little sense of what it's like to be a prisoner of war, and then being released. I mean, talk about a transformative experience. There were sometimes, by the way, my friend, in that time frame where I seriously questioned whether I'd picked the right career field for myself. <laughs> now, that's funny, but it's also really true. Because the guy that's pictured in this, in this image here started off life in Brentwood. My dad was at Wash U going through law school. The, the, the small period of time when I actually lived in this fair city was when dad was at Wash U, and I picked up the violin at age three. Suzuki, and I learned the Suzuki method of violin playing that would carry me through until I was a teenager. A couple years later, I picked up the piano. Friends, I was that guy. In high school, I was Caiaphas and Jesus Christ Superstar. And I was the captain of my high school team, it just wasn't any of the cool teams. It was the speech and debate team across across the state at Rockhurst High School in Kansas City the third of three high schools I went to, by the way, I was that guy. And in a very, very short period of time, because of the teammates that I was privileged to learn from and with, to include the gentleman who raised his hand a little while ago, I became this guy. And you'll notice a bit of a transformation even in the images, a little bit more stout, also a little bit better equipped much better armed than I was in the previous picture. And I'm not just talking about the M9 Beretta. The mighty F-15 Eagle, home-built, St. Louis product, something that I champion to this very day. I'm attached to this machine, by the way. I love it, to my core. And while I've flown the Raptor, the mighty F-22, this one is in my heart. Now, the outcome of the transformation that we see here is even more significant when we consider the time frame involved. This picture happens four years, four years after pilot training graduation. And by the way, one of the many reasons why I don't appreciate the Chinese sometimes is that they're always trying to tap into my stuff because of the (laughs) F-22. Three years after I learned to fly the F-15, two years after my first combat sortie. By the way, this picture was taken around a date that we all remember, unfortunately, The 11th of September, 2001, yeah, this demographic, we know exactly where we were that day. I know exactly where I was that day, It was here, Prince Sultan Air Base, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and I, friends, was the overall mission commander for all U.S. forces flying over southern Iraq on the 12th. Now think about that for a second. Violin, piano dude, Caiaphas, low voice, Jesus Christ, superstar, debate team captain, is flying that magnificent machine over a country where there's a bounty on my head because a guy by the name of Saddam doesn't appreciate us preventing him from attacking his own citizens. And this notion of being a mission commander had some, had some substance to it. We had a bunch of silos <coughs> that we had to communicate with and coordinate together with. We had the Navy coming out of the Persian Gulf. We had the army on call in Kuwait. We had the United States Air Force coming out of Kuwait and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We had reached back to the United States of America. You're truly making sure that everybody is on point with the shared mission, that we're all going to achieve our objectives and by the way, come home safely. And by the way, learn from the experience so that tomorrow we can do it better. Kind of interesting looking back on it. I used to take this for granted. Now, with the benefit of some time and distance, I'm actually kind of amazed by the experience. Now, here's a semi personal question for you How many of us, maybe in the sanctity and safety of our homes, our offices with the door closed, car ride to and from, malign millennials from time to time? say some nasty things about those millennials who just can't quite get it. Yeah, we've got at least one person who's honest here. (laughs) A couple of honest people raising their hands, but they know they're on video. They're they're worried about this thing called the internet. Let me just point out the fact that I was the overall mission commander for all US forces and I was 27 years old. I had a one-star general reporting to me. I called him sir but I was his commander for that day. How is this possible? (laughs) Well, the good news is is that it is possible, and the the better news is is that we're here today at Orlando's because of a bunch of millennials that are doing the exact same thing for us, giving us that blanket of protection to allow us to march forward in our lives, to build our businesses, to do the great things that we're doing here in our community in St. Louis, and that's pretty stinking cool, yeah? How about a round of applause for those staking millennials? Good, 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 good. It's good that we're all on the same wavelength over here. Um, earlier I was talking with John, John Brandwein, who I, I run into from time to time. He stands out because he's wearing the hat. And one of the things that he brought up in our conversation was the importance of embracing failure. I didn't ask him to talk about it, he said it. Maybe he got a copy of the slides in advance. I don't think so, because I crafted them last night on the airplane. (laughs) But this thing about failure, it's a really important thing for us to embrace, because it's through failure that we become our best. And friends, I failed a ton. I'm still failing a bunch. And I'm glad for it, because it's through the failures that I become better. And I recognize that in the fighter pilot community, we own that, and we embrace it. And it's part of what it is that allows the transformation to accelerate. And so if I, were to, if I were to just summarize my experience of just over 20 years in the United States Air Force as a commissioned officer, almost 25 years wearing a uniform, it's this. If you can build a team that teams, like the active process of teaming, that team helps the transformation that leads to the excellence that we all are aiming for in this new year, in this new decade. But we have to recognize that we're only gonna get there by learning and failure. Not by distancing ourselves from it, not by sloughing off the failure on somebody else, not by trying to come up with excuses for it, but rather the exact opposite of it. We're gonna take it and own it. And it's gonna be good for us. and we would be better because of it. Is that a fair approach? Okay, we've got a couple of different parts to today's presentation, part one we're gonna talk about some of the principles that allow us to deploy teams that really start rocking and rolling. And the first first thing that I'd like to share is is that success starts with purpose, which isn't a revelation, and I know that, but we're gonna talk about it maybe in a little bit different way. All right, somewhat participative time today. Uh, There's this thing called the oath in the military. Anybody who's worn a uniform has sworn, anybody here, ever take an oath, an oath of enlistment, an oath of office, raise your hands high. Okay, we've got a bunch of us here. How about a round of applause for all of those who have served in some capacity in our armed forces. It's beautiful to be among friends here. Now the oath, there's various iterations of it, but it kind of comes down to willing to give my life in the support and defense of the Constitution of the United States. If you think about the age that the young men and women are raising their right hand and swearing this oath, it's kind of astounding. I was 17 when I took the oath. Most of us in my my little peer group were 17 to 18 years old. And every single time we got promoted, we repeated it to remind us of what it is that we're here for. Here's a neat picture, Happy Times, 31 May, 1995, crossing the stage with the Commander-in-Chief, President William Jefferson Clinton, my father, that morning read to me the oath of office and commissioned me as an officer in the United States Air Force. And I repeated that oath when I became a first lieutenant, a captain, a major, a lieutenant colonel, and a colonel. And I got it. And over time, it really kind of sunk in. This is for real. But the part where it really became real was when I was given the privilege of command. And it was as a commander that my responsibility shifted from just volunteering to go forth and to fly over bad guy land to sending your sons and daughters your brothers and sisters cousins best friends you name it however it is that you're connected to go die potentially for their country just think about that for a second now i'm in my mid-30s when i'm sending people off and i remember a day when my boss who was a real tough cookie came up to me and said cujo You've got 24 hours to find, for me, the person who's going to leave the F-22. He's going to leave on Friday. This was a Monday. Friday, he's going to deploy to Mississippi. He's going to learn how to fly a twin-engine, propeller-driven airplane, and then he's going to go deploy to Afghanistan for six months. And he may not come back to the fighters. And about the time that I was ready to start fighting him about this, like, we're not going to send any of our pilots to go do this, he said, if you don't do it, you're fired. No, I'll hire somebody who will. We were going to take on this responsibility. The gentleman who I picked was the right person at that time for this particular deal, but he also had a pretty difficult disposition. I expected that our conversation was gonna be tough. When I pulled him in and I said, friend, here's what I've got for you. Here's the timeline, here are the implications. What do you say? He said, boss, I got one request. I said, shoot. He said, can I take the next two days off to get my affairs in order? I still get a little choked up when I think about the fact that he was such an honorable, is such an honorable man, that he understood that his purpose wasn't just to go out there and fly fast jets, but rather to do what he swore the oath to do and to say yes when the mission shifted for him. And we see it all the time. We're friends to this day, okay? I'm very happy to report, we're friends to this day. I'm even happy to report that he's training the next generation of fighter pilots down in Texas making sure that they're better than we were. Okay, organizational purpose is great, but here's here's the takeaway for us. Even with a purpose as compelling as defending freedom, democracy, everything that we stand for, great organizational purpose does not equal great teams. And we see it all the time in purpose-driven businesses. The grand why makes sense, but functionally speaking, at the team level, the teams still aren't clicking. And if you're experiencing that, you're not alone. Worldwide study by PricewaterhouseCoopers that came out in the November-December edition of Harvard Business Review last year, just a couple of months ago, said that the vast majority of purpose-driven organizations have teammates who don't feel like they're contributing anything, who don't feel like the engagement is quite where it needs to be, who don't feel like they're making the mark in the world that they need to. And that's on us, friends. That's on us as the leaders who are shepherding and guiding the organizations through and deploying the teams to go forth and do what it is that they're doing. And if we study, if we study the science of teamwork, what we find is, is that groups that don't become teams are those that haven't figured out at the team level why they're there. Once they do, they get the pride, they get the responsibility, but until they do it and until they own it, until they're the ones who craft it, they're the ones at the offside to sit down and go, who are we? What good do we bring forth? Why are we special? Why would I not jump ship and take the better paying job someplace else? And that's on them to figure out and craft with guidance from us and the empowerment to do so, which is a bit of a shift maybe for us in how it is that we view the world. Having that figured out as a team drives the values and the associated behaviors that we're all looking for from teams that click. And so we might move forward today, thinking on the fact that this is, this is very, very useful and making some adjustments maybe over the coming weeks of how we march forward. In this world, and by the way, another mighty F-15 taken off. You can't get enough of, I can't get enough of this. <laughs> in this world we always have clarity at the team level of who we are why do we exist what good do we bring forth what is our team purpose because we know your tax dollars need to be spent wisely but more importantly we recognize that we're in something that requires us to be all in it requires us to be ready to give our all and so it's worth it yeah Okay, so principle number one for our time over here, team excellence starts with team purpose. We're marching towards excellence. New year, new decade. We're marching towards excellence. Let's figure out who we are first. Okay, moving steadily along. Teamwork is not something that just happens. And most of us have been on teams cooler than the speech and debate team. We realize that that just being a member of a team doesn't necessarily mean that we hum this picture. Yes, it's another F-15. <laughs> On the back of my car, I've got an F-15 low. It's, it's, it's so cheesy, but I can't not have it. All right, <laughs> I, I mean it when I say I love the airplane. This picture, a lot of us just dismiss as maybe kind of cool, but what gives? To me, it's a fantastic example of teamwork because it's a picture that has two airplanes in it, One is a gigantic refueling machine that moves high-pressured gas into a very small receptacle in the left-wing route of the F-15. The other one's the the Eagle, of course, especially in the St. Louis crowd. Um, But neither of these airplanes takes off unless the teenage maintenance guy or gal has done what it takes to make sure the airplanes are airworthy. I can't tell you how many times I walked up to the airplane and the 19-year-old smiles and salutes and says, good morning, sir. Welcome to 8027. She's ready to go, and we trust that the airplane is ready to go. Logistics. We don't make all the parts we need for our aging fleet of F-15s. There's a bunch of teenagers that are crafting sheet metal at the base level to make sure that the airplane is functional and able to fly. Don't even think about airfield ops. Don't even think about the back end support Don't think about the weather person who said this is a good piece of sky because the two airplanes that met to make this fuel transfer came from bases that it might be separated by thousands of miles. Oh, and then you've got the little little boom operator who's flying with a couple of joysticks. This huge metal piece that goes inches away from your plexiglass cockpit. That person's also a teenager typically and they get it right all the time. Friends, that's teamwork. But because because we're serious about what we're talking about, let's define it, let's define what teamwork is. A team, it's a small group of people, usually less than 25, so that individual voices can be heard, who have complementary skills and share a commitment to a common purpose, to performance goals, and to an approach for which they're mutually accountable. That's a good definition. It comes to us from two researchers that have spent decades studying teams. Kotzenbach and and Smith, they write about it in their book, The Wisdom of Teams. It's a good starting point. What What they'll tell you, having studied business teams for so many years, is that if you're missing one of those characteristics, you're not a team. Most teams are missing one or more. Now, my background, high reliability organization. You can't drop the bomb on the wrong target. You can't shoot a friendly. Those are no-no's. The president gets involved. Requires high performance teams. What are they? Let's take a look at this. This, by the way, this picture, it is the F-22. I've got to give some some shout outs to the second airplane I flew. Uh, That's $770 million worth of hardware, by the way each raptor costs 154 million there are no two seat versions so the first time you climb into it the pucker factor is high (laughs) on a high performance team purposes are nobler goals are more urgent team approaches are more powerful we have to learn interchangeable skills we are required to share leadership there's there's never There's not a single mission in my entire life as a professional where we didn't have a succession plan built from the very get-go. We anticipate that number one's not gonna make it, not because they're gonna get shot down, we're always much more optimistic than that, but we realize these are really sophisticated machines that work because of a bunch of magic, which means sometimes the magic doesn't quite work and the engine doesn't start, the gear doesn't come up, the radar implodes on itself. Little things like that. We anticipate number one's not going to be there. We've got a succession plan, and we're fully ready to step up and take leadership, even as a young 20-something-year-old flying in bad guy land. Think about that for a second. But the most important characteristic of a high-performance team is this. If one of us fails, we all do. Think on that for just one second. If one of us fails, we all do. How do we get there? do we how do we embrace that at the team level i'll tell you that in my experience it starts with onboarding something that a lot of businesses might not have as robust a process for as they could onboarding my onboarding summer of 1991 united states air force academy colorado springs colorado shortly after some really mean people shaved my head took away all my clothes, issued me everything down in my underwear and started yelling at me. <laughs> we started to bond as a team, the 30 of us that were part of my basic cadet squadron. And they pushed us through all kinds of really tough experiences. We were running and we were being screamed at. We were doing push-ups and more running and more screaming and all this kind of stuff. There's one day in June of 1991 that stands out in my mind because our upperclassmen, our benevolent upperclassmen gave us two minutes to ourselves in the midst of all the craziness. Two minutes, they said you can go back to your rooms and do whatever you want. (laughs) And this was, I mean, this was like magic. This was certainly music to our ears. We were pretty fired up about it. I remember going back to my dorm room and going, what am I gonna do? And about the time that I sat down, they were yelling at us because we were late for being back outside to get yelled at. (laughs) It was cruel. It was absolute cruelty from those non-benevolent upperclassmen. But you know what? We had one gentleman in our crowd who knew exactly what to do. Now, things during basic training, like candy, were contraband. And when John came out smelling like chocolate, the upperclassmen, they descended on him like sharks around blood. And they asked him, they said, is this chocolate that we smell on your breath? And he had to say yes because one of the two oaths that we swore was to Never lie, steal, or cheat, nor tolerate amongst us anyone who did. And so he had to say the truth. There was no getting around it. And they said, okay, basic. Do you have any more chocolate? He said, yes. They said, please show us. So we went back into his room and he came out with a Tylenol bottle full of M&Ms. Turns out, turns out, John had the coolest girlfriend of any of us. She knew how to get through the monitors. She knew exactly how to make John's experience just a little bit better than the rest of ours. She sent him the M&Ms. The upperclassmen knew exactly how to handle it. They said, okay, basic. Why don't you stand over here against the wall, make sure that you're comfortable. Open up your bottle of M&Ms. You're going to finish them and take your time. Like take your, enjoy, savor them. The rest of you are gonna do 200 push-ups while John savers his M&Ms. <laughs> oh, and I remember that day, that was not music to our ears. And as we started to do our push-ups, many of us were a little bit angry about how things were, were going down. But what Hollywood gets wrong is that they would say in the story that one of us ordered the code red, yeah? That night, probably. We didn't. I'm happy to report John remains one of my best friends on the planet to this day. He's my daughter Lucy's godfather. I'm the godfather for Violet and Genevieve. We're still tight. But the lesson that we learned the de- that particular day It still resonates. And it's this, if you're a member of a team, you owe it to your teammates to do what it is that you say that you're going to do. To do what it is that being a member of this team means. John actually let us all down that day. We learned the lesson. Fast forward, September 11th, 2001. My plan after finishing mission planning was to go back to the dorms, watch a little bit of TV, Go hit the gym workout one more time, that would be my second for the day back in the days when I was fit and trim. Hit the chow hall and go to sleep. It was gonna be about a six hour mission over bad guy land, I wanted to be rested. When I got back to the dorms, the second tower was already hit. We were seven hours ahead of New York time. And I watched TV all night long. I couldn't get away from it. And when my alarm went off and I realized it's time to go to work, I also realized I had been awake for a day and a half. And as I'm sitting there shaving, I'm wondering to myself, is it even safe for me to go fly? But I had to consider the fact that my teammates were depending upon me to lead them. And I owed it to them to do what it is that I said that I was going to do. And I also reflected on the fact that many of them probably hadn't slept either. So who was I to take myself out of the running? The good news about the mighty F-15 is when you plug in the afterburners, the adrenaline kicks in, (laughs) and it stays strong for a long time. We're here to tell the story, it all worked out great. But just think about the impact of doing what it is that we say that we're going to do. In this world, think about it. When you're flying three feet away from each other, which we do all the time, you better do what it is that you say that you're going to. Otherwise, something's not gonna end up well for one of your teammates. Which leads us to our second principle. We've gotta subordinate our individual will to give for the good of the team if we want to create teams that actually click. How we doing? Okay, we're on track, Brian? We're on track. Teamwork takes effort. If we look back to the creation of air power all the way back in the beginning of the last century, we realize we went through a pretty remarkable and very fast paced evolution. 1903 Kitty Hawk, First powered flight, 1969, we're talking about moon, being on the moon, can you believe this? In such a short period of time. And in World War I, we're now just a decade plus removed from Kitty Hawk, when both sides are trying to figure out how to take command of this new domain. And it was a tough place to be. Here's a great picture of a gentleman who was known for his individual exploits in World War I, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, America's ace of aces of World War I. Great individual performer. The Germans had their own Baron Manfred von Richthofen, the Red Baron. Doesn't survive the war, but he has the most air-to-air kills of anybody. The problem was, and the Germans were the first to identify this, in this domain, individualism kills. It kills us, the individualists. And here's how, when you're flying along, you're constantly looking, you're constantly monitoring, you're trying to build your situational awareness, but our heads are limited and our eyes are always seeing forward. So if you want to look directly behind you, that's a difficult thing to do. It's really, really hard. And the bad guys know this, and they're going to come from directly behind you, what we call our deep six out of the sun, which makes it even more difficult and you're somewhat defenseless. The Germans said, we've got to get past this individualism thing. we've got to figure out how to build teams that can actually work and hum and click in a way that provides mutual support. And somewhere in the mid 1910s, so 15, 14, 15 in that time frame, they started to do a thing where after a mission they would come in and they would debrief it. They would try to learn as much as they could, especially when they failed, and they would feed the outcomes of that learning into the planning for the next mission and they repeated that process constantly because they they were losing people and they'd get new people and they figured the fastest way to pass along and transfer lessons was to always do what it is that they started to do the allied expeditionary forces started doing the exact same thing your very first top gun schools were in the fields of france 1918 1919 time frame fantastic army war college study that traces the evolution of the things that i'm teaching you today To then, from people who had to get it right because only everything depended on it. And in my tribe, we've been refining it in the decades since and getting better at it. And the outcomes of living in this kind of a flow pattern is you're increasing your performance capability by developing teams that understand how to team as a verb. And what's also interesting is that an additional outcome of that. Verb team is you create a culture of ownership where people say this one's on me and you create a culture of mutual support. You rarely see fighter aircraft take off as singletons. We usually fly around in pairs. Ideally, we've got at least four of us. Why? So that I can check my wingman six and she can check mine. What a beautiful concept that is. And you'll notice that it's cross applicable into any domain. This is not a flying exclusive kind of a deal. All right, that's good. Another uh, historical picture here. I went with the black and white to try and match the previous one. This is me learning to fly the T 38 Talon, one of our supersonic jet trainer aircraft, soon to be replaced by a new Boeing product. Very nice. Um, this is a two-seat airplane. We fly about half of pilot training, so about six to seven months in this airplane. What I learned when I was flying it was that I hated having somebody in my back seat. I hated having somebody give me their techniques for how to land better, how to take off better, how to fly formation better, how to navigate better. <laughs> Today's instructor's techniques are exactly opposite to tomorrow's instructor's techniques, and so they're going to tell me about that. It's going to ex- extend the time frame of our debrief, And after months of all these dueling techniques and all of this information, I said, you know what, I'm going to graduate high enough so that I can pick an airplane that has only one of us in it. (laughs) (laughs) Pilot training taught me that I prefer to fly solo. And if I think back to me growing up and the kinds of things that I did, it sort of fits. What I learned very, very quickly as I transitioned from pilot training into learning how to fly an airplane as an instrument of war is that I've got to be a teammate. Otherwise, this isn't going to go anywhere. And I learned rapidly that my ability to team was going to have a direct effect on our ability to perform. And our teams are organized to win. So I had to get with the program. I'm here to report that I did. In relatively short order so it's a good news story but it took some effort it didn't just happen that process of planning briefing execution and debrief p-bed it predates the toyota production system process and it's a good one to embrace as business owners who want to deploy teams that work who want to put in the effort by adopting a team operating system that builds teamwork and that has an outstanding byproduct if done correctly of creating an environment of mutual support. I've got your back, you've got mine. We don't even have to talk about it because it's natural. Plan, brief, execute, debrief. Ends with this notion that we're going to learn. It ends with this idea that we're going to hold ourselves accountable for what it is that we've done, which leads us into the next piece and that is the linchpin of it all is this accountability who here gets super fired up in a positive way when somebody says let's have an accountability session yeah there's always a couple there's always a couple in every crowd most of us are a little bit nervous about it even if it's good and I agree with you wholeheartedly by the way that it's good most of us are nervous why why does accountability make us nervous sometimes it's uncomfortable why is it uncomfortable (coughs) judgment day blame Blame. if the fire alarm goes off right now and we all have to vacate the room and we never come back together again let's walk out of here knowing that it's not about blame it's about judgment the good way it's about celebrating heroics and it's about forward-looking accountability about how we're gonna be better tomorrow not backward-looking accountability talking about how bad we were today In all cases, we're talking about taking ownership of the decisions that we've made, of the decisions that we've made, because we live in a complex world. Decision quality does not equal outcome quality. You can make horrible decisions and get incredibly lucky. You can make great decisions and get incredibly unlucky. All that we can control is decision quality, and every one of us has a reason why we made the decisions we did. We just have to learn to build teams where our teammates take ownership of those. We've also got to learn how to teach people to learn from the decisions. Taking absolute ownership for doing what we said that we were going to do, just like back at the Air Force Academy in the summer of 1991, through a mechanism called the debrief, which we're gonna talk about here in just a second. Somebody here in town texted me after one of these sessions, started practicing plan brief, execute debrief, He's already already rocking and rolling, now doing even better because of it. And we know that it's going to work because the science says that it will. And I know that it works because this is how I went from this guy to that guy, your number one F-15 graduate from your U.S. Air Force Fighter Weapons School, the tougher program than Top Gun. Ha! (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, flying in a domain that can be pretty dangerous and difficult to navigate so let's take a couple of seconds to not hear it on the on the big picture sound system that worked when we needed it to but we can still see the video yes there we go nicely done Um, this magnificent airplane the mighty f-15 eagle the hometown product was designed by engineers in the 1960s who used slide rules. Those engineers still get together for breakfast every other Wednesday. They still are passionate about their baby. And one of them sat me down and gave me a 286 slide presentation about how he would go back and make the cockpit better. That's how much they care. When I say passionate, all of us that are associated with the Eagle program are incredibly passionate about it. Anybody here with connections to your F-15 Eagle program? There's a proud person. There's a couple of people in there. How about a round of applause for the Eagle and for the folks that brought it to life. As a pilot who went into harm's way, I can tell you I love doing so in this airplane specifically because it's built to win. It's got more horsepower coming out of the back end than the entire starting lineup of the Indianapolis 500. If you haven't slept for 36 hours, I said, plug in the afterburners, you're gonna be okay. It carries in its old manifestation, eight air-to-air missiles, each valued at over a million dollars a pop. They're designed to reach out and touch somebody that the gigantic airborne radar around which you sit finds before they find you. And if somebody gets through the missile net, 940 rounds of 20 millimeters coming at them out of a six-barreled Gatling gun. And when you pull back on the stick, almost instantaneously at nine times the force of gravity, that means this thing here weighs about 100 pounds. And while you'd like to just sit upright and kind of embrace the suck, you gotta look over your shoulders because this is a full contact sport, friends. Because somebody's coming at you from your high six o'clock trying to kill you. And you've gotta make smart decisions now to not only defeat the attack, but also to continue to support the mission because the F-15 is a support asset. We make sure the bomb droppers can get there and back again. We make sure that the headquarters stay safe. We make sure that whatever the mission is gets done. We help our teammates in the mighty F-15 Eagle. Great place to work, great place to work. In case you haven't figured it out, I miss it, all right? I miss it a lot. Great place to learn teamwork. Great place to learn how to team as a verb. Okay, good. That's part one. Let's move into part two. Because sometimes, especially when I'm around business people, and I'd say it's probably one in 50, I'm gonna come up and say, yeah, you know what? Cujo, if that is your real name. All this stuff sounds great in an F-15 setting, but it doesn't work in business. Because we're different. We haul trash, we sell stuff, we sell mortgage loans, real estate, all this fancy teamwork stuff does not apply here. To which I always say, do you have teams? The answer is always, absolutely. And friends, teams are teams no matter what the science is not specific to an industry or to a domain and I'll try to share that because in this notion of transformation we sometimes sometimes we go through transformations that we don't intend to yeah yes. sometimes the transformation is forced upon us and we've got to learn to live with it sometimes people ask me if you were such a awesome pilot why aren't you still flying now And I'll tell them, you son of a gun. (laughs) It comes down to the fact that almost six years ago now, on the 13th of March, it'll be the six year anniversary of the excision of my cancerous tumor, I had to have my entire lower colon ripped out. Turns out that about six years ago, my life transformed in a magnificently horrific way in very, very short order. It turns out the surgeon who I chose on the economy in in Germany told me when i asked him if i could go back and fly the raptor which i had been invited to do by the way that if i were to go back and pull nine g's he thought i might rip apart from the inside and he he encouraged me to think about other other possibilities (laughs) from literally one minute to the next when i woke up from my colonoscopy my life transformed And as Dr. Meyer shared with me the fact that he thought the tumor that had been growing in my lower colon was about a decade old, I reflected back on a decade prior, when I was a young instructor, number one graduate from my F-15 weapons school class, going back through the program held to a higher standard now because I'm going to go teach other people to be number one graduates of their courses, that there were some symptoms that were manifesting themselves very clearly But you see, friends, much like some of you, I was driven back then. Singular focus on doing an outstanding job at work. Didn't have time for much else. I also knew that I was somewhat bulletproof, indestructible, and that doctors only exist to clip wings. And so I dismissed my symptoms. Some of us here understand that. I also didn't tell a soul about the symptoms until they came back in 2013. And when I told my wife, who was the first person I shared any of this information with, she was horrified. She was scared out of her mind. It was not the kind of conversation you want to have with your best friend, Okay? Um, So there you have it. There's a little bit of background. Here's a picture of me at the Katharinen Hospital, downtown Stuttgart, Germany, St. Catherine's. The smile, this is day one after the first surgery, the smile is 100% (laughs) morphine-induced. Oh my gosh, morphine is a fantastic thing. This here is the bulge, this is where my intestines are being fed out of my chest. I won't tell you what's happening with that, it's just disgusting. I've got humongous staples that are keeping me together from here all the way down to my nether regions. It still looks like a shark attacked me. (laughs) And the worst part, potentially, the night prior to all of this was, right over here, I've got a roommate. I had to share a room the night of my biggest event on this planet with an 85-year-old guy who told me in German that he snores horribly. <laughs> it's not cool, all right? Not cool. OK, anybody here heard of a guy named Hal Elrod? I would imagine this crowd a few people who may have purchased his self-published book, The Miracle Morning, typos and all, of which he sells 80,000 copies a month self-made millionaire, the entrepreneur's entrepreneur, in his book, which by the way, I think is pretty cool, he talks about it. He talks about people like me. He talks about some of us here, people who are wildly successful in our businesses, but may not be taking the same approach towards excellence in other domains of life and maybe setting themselves up to experience something like what I went through. Oof which I'm here to tell you, once the morphine goes away, it's not a pleasant experience. I'll spend three years basically stuck in bathrooms. Three years stuck in... Ba- my wife, four kids at the time, she was pregnant with number four when all this stuff went down. She was a single parent because I could not be depended on to even take people to school because my body was so unpredictable. What do you do with that? In the flying world, the answer is we're going to debrief it. We're gonna learn from this. I said at the top, didn't become who I was without learning through failure, yes? Yes. Okay, good, so what is a debrief? Here's a definition for you. For those in the back who can't see the video, it's the constructive evaluation of the quality of our decisions in relationship to our objectives. Constructive evaluation of decision quality in relationship to what it is we set out to do in achieving our purpose. The words in blue, constructive, tending to build up, evaluation, making a judgment about. Sometimes these words can be in conflict with one another, yeah? Let me tell you this. There's a movie about B-rate pilots who made bad decisions, came out in the 1980s. You may have seen it. I think it went straight to beta. Top Gun? (laughs) This is the part that Bruckheimer and friends got completely wrong. In our debriefs, there's no blame. In our debriefs, there's no shame. In our debriefs, there's no ego. In our debriefs, there's no excuses. We embrace absolute ownership because we recognize that it's through the mechanism of an accountability-centric team dynamic operating system that we're going to get better, and indeed we do. And it's the best the best means of achieving a transformation the most important tool that I can share with you today in helping you to get to where it is that you want to go. And here are its components. It starts with capturing the truth of what happened. And this is tough because it requires some vulnerability. So break out your inner Brené Brown. Open up Dare to Lead. Thumb through it one more time and then come at it. And be willing to share the unvarnished truth, always. Just like John did, having sworn the honor oath, confessing to the fact that he had some M&Ms in his room. That's a tough one, friends. It's a bit countercultural, But if your teammates see you leading this way, it opens the door for them to do the same. The truth is going to help us then establish what the focus is that we wanna talk about. And if the objective was to sell 15 widgets in five days, and we did, then we're going to debrief to figure out why so that we can substantiate even in the midst of success that it's because of us and not just because of luck. And if we didn't, we're gonna ask why not? Focusing our attention on only the things that matter because what we want to do is ultimately arrive at a root cause. We want to take this thing down to the substantive answer that can lead us to change something. For the better or for the worse, whatever the case might be, we want to get to the point where we can actually make a change that's meaningful which drives us getting traction from this entire process. We're actually going to hold ourselves accountable for doing something with it. We're not just going to package up the results of our after action review, our lessons learned thing, our retrospective, our post-mortem, whatever we call it, like the Ark of the Covenant at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark and push it away someplace where nobody ever sees it again. We're going to take the results and feed them right into how it is. We move forward tomorrow because it's about tomorrow. I shared with you the truth of my experience. Yeah. The focus was how did I get to the part where I could no longer serve on active duty, flying high performance fighter aircraft? Why did I take myself out of the running? My root cause analysis was pretty scathing actually, but it traces itself back, its origins back to pilot training where I recognized that I really preferred to fly alone and flying alone is the one thing that actually is going to get you killed in the world that I come from. Isn't it ironic that the root cause for my failure was that I was flying alone at home at the time that I was learning to teach teamwork to the most excellent teammates that I've ever been privileged to work with on the planet. And it all came down to the fact that the principles that I shared with you up front, I didn't cross apply them into the domain that matters more to me than anything else. Okay. Well, there you have it. Those are the facts, at least as I see them, and my wife agrees with me. Here's me after surgery number two, holding some cards that the kids wrote. Dad, we want you to come back. Dad, feel better. The outcome, the change that needs to happen isn't about this. It's about that. My teammate at home, the best co-pilot that I've ever had, the beautiful Miss Diane, and these munchkins (laughs) captured during mustache March. Nicholas is actually angry, but it looks like he's smiling. There's a great picture as a result. (laughs) And if you think back to the characteristics of a high-performance team, we remind ourselves that on high-performance teams, purposes are nobler. Goals are more urgent. Team approaches are more powerful. We have to learn interchangeable skills and share leadership, and if one of us fails, we all do. Can't afford to fail my team. Yes? we might reflect on how it is that we're not gonna let down our teams either, having walked through this particular story here this fine morning at Orlando's. Where in life does excellent matter most? As we march out on the new year, on the new decade, where in life does excellent truly matter? And what are we gonna do about it? Principle number four, we are gonna embrace collectively this notion of accountability done right no blame, no shame, forward-looking, not backwards, to help us to learn, especially, John, when there's been a failure, so that we can grow and become the best that we can possibly be. And we're gonna embrace this idea of failure because of the good that it does for us. Emerson says, it's not about not falling, it's about picking ourselves back up. Friends, at one point in my life, I was one of the best F-15 pilots on the planet. And I say that humbly, but I was. And yet I never flew a perfect mission, ever. And in my world, we expect that. And in my world, we come back humbly and are willing and eager to learn from whatever it was that didn't go 100% right, so we can continue to improve. It's a good background to have no matter what it is that you do. Which brings us to part three so what timing wise we're okay i'm gonna go five over (laughs) so what we we can we can march out of here right now saying hey that was interesting had some good coffee did some good networking so what that's insufficient behavior change requires more from us it requires that commitment that we said is necessary for us to move out and achieving our goals this year this decade whatever it might be my 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 challenge to you is to actually put the time in your schedule. Maybe it's later this week, maybe it's this weekend where you gather with a team and maybe it's not your business team, it's your home team and you figure out what is your purpose collectively. How are you gonna subordinate individual will to give for the good of your team consistently doing what it is that you decide is gonna take to achieve your purpose? What kind of a team operating system are you going to deploy to help you with this? Because teamwork takes effort. It's not just going to happen on its own. And finally, by the way, what is the rhythm? It's not a question of whether you're going to do it. What is the rhythm upon which you're going to build your accountability system? How frequently? Is it monthly? Is it weekly? Is it daily? To become excellent where it matters most. Here's a quote. I'll read it to you for the folks in the back. How noble and good everyone could be if every evening before falling asleep they were to recall to mind the events of the whole day and consider exactly what has been good and bad. Then, without realizing it, you try to improve yourself at the start of each new day. Of course, you achieve quite a lot in the course of time. Anybody know who said this? Anne Frank in her diary. What a What a beautiful reflection from a beautiful young woman at a horrible time in history. She figured it out. Maybe we can learn from her and from those who went before us in the fighter side as well. And so the challenge is this. How about we follow Anne Frank's suggestion, recommendation and for the next 30 days agree individually because this thing scales down and up individually at the end of every day to debrief the day to set aside the time in the midst of the Netflix, the blues, the soon-to-be Cardinals coming up and rocking and rolling, and to debrief the day so that we can learn from it, especially if the day didn't go so well, so we can be a better teammate tomorrow. If you need some help, www.vmaxgroupllc.com. That's my company, VMAX Group. And you can download something that's 100% free and it has an F-15 on it it's also obnoxiously blue it's gonna eat up a ton of your toner that's a good thing because it's Air Force blue and it'll walk you through the steps that help us to practice accountability the Raptor steps that help us to practice accountability effectively after every mission no matter what domain it is that we're in that sound reasonable I'm sorry, real quick, okay? I'll take you back over here to this picture. The dude that I was the roommate with. I speak fluent German from when I was a little kid. It was good because I was in a German hospital where they spoke German. This dude did not speak any English. We're both lying there, neither of us can move. We're stuck, there's nobody else in the room. So he starts the small talk. Herr Teschner, was machen Sie denn beruflich? What do you do professionally? I said, ich bin pilot, I'm a pilot. He says, was fliegen Sie denn? What do you fly? I said, F22. The morphine was talking as I shared that I was an F-22 pilot. I don't typically share that around the globe. (laughs) He said, das ist interessant. That's interesting. He said, when I was a kid, I was in the Hitler Youth. (laughs) And my job was to man the anti-artillery battery, anti-aircraft artillery battery in my village to shoot down the bombers of the 8th Air Force. And this guy is 10 feet away from me. You ever felt alone in life? <laughs> Friends, I couldn't move and I was stuck next to a Nazi. Who was trying to shoot grandpa? Now fast forward at two o'clock in the morning. The Germans are not big into pain medication. We knew it going in, we knew it was gonna to be tough, but I thought I was a fighter pilot, I'd be tougher than that, I could handle it. Five hours after the morphine had run out, I had given up the ghost. I had the death grip on both sides of the bed, I couldn't take it anymore, it was so horrific, the two options that were going through my mind are either get more morphine or jump out the eighth floor balcony window because this cannot continue. I hit the nurse call button, she came in. I said, miss, in my my highest, best form of drum, miss, uh, please help now, morphine, yes. (laughs) She said, nine. I said, ma'am, you don't understand, I will literally die if I don't get some. She said, you're fine. Oh, not what I wanted to hear. All of a sudden, from my right side, a voice chimes in, elderly voice. Dude goes, Miss, I've been watching this young hero suffer for hours in silence. And if he says he can't handle it anymore, I encourage you to listen to him. She says, putting her hands on her hips, I've been doing this job for 27 years. I know what he needs and what he does, and he's not getting anything else. And he said, Miss, I'm a former senior executive at Siemens. I know every decision maker in this hospital. If you don't get him some medicine now or sooner, I assure you tonight will be your last night here. And it was only five minutes later that I had the new morphine drip. All right? (laughs) And as I think back on this, I realize that I went into this angry that I had a roommate. I wanted to be solo. Somebody was taking care of me and gave me a roommate who I desperately needed at my worst hour, who gave me life-saving mutual support, who used to be in the Hitler Youth, raised under a system of oppression and evil, who made a transformation that allowed him to be the most excellent person that I know, aside from my immediate family and Brian McRae. His transformation (laughs) made him excellent where it matters most. Maybe we can learn from him and march forward today and be even better than we were today or yesterday. And that's it, friends. I'm Robert Cujo Teschner. I took a pay grade reduction in rank at the end of my career because I didn't serve three years as a colonel, so I'm lieutenant colonel, retired now. I'm your 125th F-15C weapons school instructor at your fighter weapons school Nellis Air Force Base, Las Vegas, Nevada, and our credo is humble, approachable, credible. And hopefully I evidenced that for you this morning. It was a pleasure going long this morning. I'm sorry about it. I'm passionate about this stuff. Sorry, Brian. But thank you for the gift of your time and attention and God bless every single one of you. Thank you for what you're doing for us. Uh Appreciate you, Uh hoorah. Thank you. Thank you kindly. Thank you. John.
0: Well, there you have it. Another Mastermind Project podcast. We want to thank you for being here and investing in yourself. Uh, That's the key to growth because we know that growth doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. So thank you for investing in yourself. We hope that you found something here useful. As a matter of fact, it's our desire that you've heard something from this podcast that would make a difference if you implemented it in your business. And we know that success favors the speed of implementation. Take a note. Take action on something that you've learned here. It'll make a difference. We'd love to hear about it. So, and you can also join us and tell us a little bit about it at our next live event. And you can register for that at www.briankmcrae.com. www.briankmcrae.com. We've got our mastermind event scheduled there, and you can join us virtually uh, at our next event on the third Thursday of the month. So for this time and until next time, study things that matter, practice things that matter, and teach things that matter to people who care. Appreciate you.